Hello and welcome to Tactical as a Mother, a podcast produced by and for military women. I'm Samantha and I'm here with my co-host and wife, Alyssa. Hey everyone. We're both army officers, new moms to a beautiful baby boy, and fitness and outdoor enthusiasts living in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Our goal with this podcast is to explore the female experience in a tactical career field through expert advice and shared experience. We'll be interviewing female military leaders as well as professionals in the realms of physical training, performance nutrition, and mental fortitude to discuss performance optimization and that ever-elusive work-life balance at every stage of a tactical career. So thanks for joining us today. We're glad you're along for the ride. Welcome or welcome back. On this week's episode, we are thrilled to interview a good friend and Army occupational therapist, Major Tara Troyanello. We discuss the importance of sleep, managing stress, and the use of wearables. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Tara. Hello, friend. It's good to see you again. You guys too? Do you mind telling us just a little bit about how you got into Army occupational therapy? So I went to OT school as a civilian. Prior to that, I had considered going to West Point and doing the whole route to commission, but decided to do a little bit more casual college experience. So I went to OT school, um, and then when I graduated, I went to a conference where there was an Army OT, and I thought, hey, this is perfect. I can use the degree I just got and still do the Army route. So I did that and then did the Army Baylor DSCOT program, which was great, and then did a couple assignments, and here I am. Nice. And thus far in your career, you started at Fort Bragg after the Army OT DSCOT program, right? And you were there for quite some time. Tell us a little bit about what you did there and then where you're at now, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. There are quite some times where I got to meet you guys, because all things start and end at Bragg, right? We all, all good things. Um, all good things. <laughs> All good things. Yeah, so no, I did, you know, regular traditional clinic time. I got the chance to go to Womack and kind of get my feet wet as a staff therapist. And then after that, I got to go into a medical brigade. So I went to 44th Med Brigade and I went to the COSC unit there, which was a pretty cool opportunity. I got to spend some time as their first kind of organic OT uh, that they had had for a while. And wow. then I got the chance to be their XO. So I got to learn some more of the uh, regular Army supply and maintenance. And then I actually got a chance to command for that unit. So kind of went all the way up the chain, and it was a really good experience. In the middle of that, I, I got a really awesome opportunity to do the pilot program to the pilot program for what is now called H2F. So I got attached to an engineer battalion to do human performance optimization with a with a PT and a dietitian and a strength coach. So that was that was a pretty neat experience. And then I rounded it out, of course, in the 82nd Airborne Division, and I started the H2F team for the CAB. Nice. Briefly, can you tell us what COSC stands for? Oh yes, it is Combat and Operational Stress Control, which is an Army program, but also a medical detachment. Nice. And now you're down at Fort Sam and you're a schoolhouse instructor, right? Yes, just got here. Um, my wife and I just both got the opportunity to PCS at the same time, miraculously. The <laughs> MACP does work occasionally. That's right. So she'll be instructing Captain's Career Course for the AMED, and I'm teaching the 68 Lima OTA program. So just, just getting started with that, still learning. 
a lot harder than I thought it would be. Uh, but it's a really fun experience, especially getting to infuse some of this H2F, cost, more operational type assignments for medical into their learning. Yeah. So that, so that they're ready to go to a hospital, but also ready to go to a unit and teach classes or provide care or do performance optimization. Yeah, for sure. Because it's very different. I just had a real cute image of you and your wife both like drinking a glass of wine and grading papers after the kids go to bed. Is that is that a it's thing? Pretty, it's pretty accurate, except it's Tecate light. Cause okay. Texas, you know? All right. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So we're going to hop in. We're going to talk a little bit about sleep and then a little bit about stress and then a little bit about anything else you want to bring into it today. We interviewed a dietitian a little while ago, and she said that the biggest barrier to the success of H2F is the fact that soldiers don't want to or won't prioritize sleep. So can you talk a little bit about sleep, sleep readiness, and what makes that like such an important factor in H2F, but in performance in general? Yeah. I'm always torn because, well, I love, I love my dietitian counterparts. And so I feel like the dietitians preach about how important sleep is and kind of plug OT. And then the OTs preach about how important nutrition is and plug the dietitian. So, so. That's a really beautiful partnership. (laughs) Yeah. Not that I don't love PT. I mean, we've always been friends, but. That's um, cool. We just plug you guys too. (laughs) Yeah. We're including the others. It's kind of like, you know speech therapy. They always get left out. These dietitians are now the new speech therapy. <laughs> no, uh, so I, it's just an interesting conversation. Like what really is the foundation of performance? And I, I'm kind of torn. I think it is both sleep and nutrition. You know, you can have the best strength and conditioning plan, but if you don't have those two things, you're really just kind of taking, you know, one step forward and two steps backwards. In terms of sleep, I mean, it, it's amazing, really. I, you know, like other people, I think really had an aha moment with sleep, thinking of it of this kind of passive state, you know, why, why am I wasting a third of my life just in this coma state? But when you actually look at sleep, like a full-blown sleep study and break it down, it's, it's a super active state and a really, really cool processes going on. And I think that really opens your eyes to, hey, there's a lot of stuff happening here. So in terms of performance, you're talking about muscle recovery, optimal sleep, improving reaction time, sprint time, mental acuity, so concentration, attention, overall decreasing fatigue or having better stamina. All those things are happening because of those active processes that are happening while you're asleep because it's not really a passive state. It's a, it's a pretty active state. Hmm. So in terms of, you know, athletic performance, it's huge. In terms of just day-to-day performance, it's huge. Like it's, you know, going to help with emotional regulation, mood, decreases the risk of accidents, whether that's, you know, driving home from work or driving a Humvee in a convoy. And then from a tactical perspective, you, you're translating all that stuff to things like better marksmanship or the ability to react to fire in a more efficient way. So, I mean, you can just apply it to really anything. So and I think similar to nutrition, it really is kind of the, the foundation. Yeah. And better marksmanship, i can't cite the study, but I know I saw some statistics not too long ago that that's more shooting the right things and also less shooting the wrong things, right? Yes. Yeah. That's, <laughs> which seems important. I don't know. I'm only it's, medical, but... <laughs> feels, feels important to me too. <laughs> yeah. 
Can you talk a little bit more about the impacts of inadequate sleep for an extended period of time, like when you're habitually getting, you know, three to five hours of sleep? Yeah, so it's, you know, over time or, or chronic sleep debt, so really if you're getting anything less than, you know, seven-ish hours per night for years and years and years, you're going to start looking at some more serious issues or risk for more serious issues, like those scary diseases like cardiovascular disease, dementia, like I said, all those big scary things. But I really try to focus on the kind of present and when it when you ask about buy-in, really kind of getting back to that buy-in, like how can just fixing a little bit of sleep right now help me with performance? Because I think soldiers and even myself included, we we don't we know about those long term things, but it's not right in our it's not our five meter target, so we kind of don't give it as much weight, if that makes sense. Sure. And a lot of times we can't, right? A lot of times we're too busy. We can't afford the bandwidth to worry about things that are 20 plus years away when the things right in front of us are taking all of our attention. (laughs) Yeah. So that makes sense. And so not necessarily in your instructor position, but some of your previous positions, how often and how did you address sleep in like readiness training and wellness training? So it's pretty huge in both, I would say the cost, like a cost unit and what we did in terms of providing services to units or soldiers at Fort Bragg or, or at whatever installation you're at. And then in H2F, it was a really big part of what I did. Just slightly different perspectives, really. Just in the cost, we're a little bit more focused on preventing stress injuries or preventing behavioral health conditions. So I feel like sleep tends to focus a little bit more on that emotional regulation, why sleep is so important in terms of emotional processing and sometimes emotional unlearning when something traumatic happens. And then how sleep plays into things like mood and then the second and third order effects of that. So if I'm not sleeping well and I go home and I get in a little argument with my spouse that now all of a sudden turns into a worse event because of that kind of emotional instability or mood that I have because of that poor sleep. Whereas in H2F, we still talk about those things. But again, to get that buy-in, I usually focus my sleep readiness pitches or my sleep readiness training on that athletic or tactical performance. So how does one poor night of sleep affect my one rep max back squat the next day? Well, it makes my perceived exertion much higher. So that one rep max is going to be a lot lower or, you know, partner up with the dietitian and talk about sleep in terms of body composition, right? I could give two people the same exact diet and exercise routine, but if one person sleeps five hours and the other person sleeps seven, the person sleeping less is going to lose the same amount of weight as the other guy, except they're going to lose more as muscle mass instead of body fat, which is what we want. So it's really just kind of the lens that you put on it. But, you know, the core of it is sleep readiness still being essential and that foundational piece to whatever your end state is, whether it's preventing a stress injury or optimizing your performance during morning PT. Okay, so clearly sleep is important. I think we can all agree on that. Do you have any tips or tricks for people who are struggling with sleep, maybe with quality or maybe with quantity? Yeah, and I always preface this with, you know, all the things that we talked about earlier, 
if I could give you increased sprint time, better marksmanship, better body composition, better mood in a pill, would you take it? And people inevitably always say yes. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But if I tell you, hey, you need to make some simple lifestyle changes, it's not as cool and sexy as a pill or a supplement, do you want to do that? And and sometimes, you know, if they're being honest or I'm being honest, the answer is no. So with that, a lot of sleep issues can be fixed with things that are simple changes. But just because they're kind of not a cool supplement or, you know, cool technology doesn't mean that they're not effective. So when it comes to sleep issues, the, the two main things that I kind of tackle first are, one, do a circadian reset. So most people have heard of circadian rhythm. It's kind of just that internal 24-hour sleep-wake cycle. You can mess that up pretty easily with a lot of, a lot of different things. So step one is let's just make sure that that's reset. The easiest way to do that is practice some light discipline at night. So that's why you always hear don't have those cell phones in your face, the night lights or lights in your room. You want it to be pretty dark. That's because that light triggers melatonin to be suppressed and it kind of throws that circadian rhythm off. And people are pretty familiar with that. Sometimes they're just missing the why. Why is light so bad for you? But then the second piece, which most people are not tracking, is using light to help you out in the morning. There's some really cool science behind it, but just about two days or a couple days of getting early morning sunlight, so being outside, not looking, staring at the sun, don't ever recommend that, (laughs) but looking in the general direction of the sun, you know, no sunglasses on for about 10 to 30 minutes, probably 10 minutes on like a a nice cloud-free day, that's actually going to also help shift your circadian rhythm back to the right place. So if you can do that consistently, you'll start to notice that it's easier for you to fall asleep that evening or the next day because it's resetting your circadian rhythm back to kind of the right time of the 24-hour day. So it's actually pretty cool and and somewhat easy to implement. The trick is it's got to be outside sunlight because our lights inside are just not quite, you know, anywhere close to the proper uh, strength of light. And it has to be early in the day. There's kind of like a one-time window of opportunity for it, just getting out there as soon as the sun is up or if you're up before the sun, being out there as soon as it does come up. So what I do, for example, is, you know, I used to go home after PT, shower, and then I'd be driving back to work, sunglasses on, just straight into my office. So now I, I leave the sunglasses off. Every time I stop at a red light, I kind of roll down my tinted windows and daydream off to the side. Nice. <laughs> Maybe spend an extra five minutes outside doing something, making a phone call, you know, in the general direction of the light. And then I get into my office and then I knock out my 10 minutes for that kind of little circadian reset. So that's usually the one piece to light that people are missing. And it's a super powerful piece. It's pretty amazing what happens when you start doing that. That's really cool. Okay, so I think we're going to move on and talk a little bit about what I think of as the other part of the big OT role, at least in the H2F world, which is stress and stress management stuff. So can you talk a little bit about how OTs in the Army are positioned to and how they help with stress management? Yeah, so both in H2F and in a cost unit, OTs 
our, you know, their main mission for us there is to help with that mental readiness piece, which can include stress management. So in H2F, um, that was my other kind of line of effort other than sleep readiness was addressing that mental readiness piece. And again, it's really, you know, in the COSC, it's a little bit more slanted towards preventing an issue, right? So that could look like, hey, this traumatic or potentially traumatic event just happened, um, you know, a vehicle rollover, people got hurt or, or worse. And how do we normalize that situation so that it doesn't become more of a, a stress injury or behavioral health condition, right? And a lot of that is simple, just educating soldiers that some reactions are normal, especially when there's a traumatic experience or an abnormal experience. It's okay to kind of go through some of these emotions that we go through because really just that knowledge is powerful in and of itself. And in H2F, we do that too, but we also kind of, again, just add that layer focus on performance. So maybe there's nothing, you know, wrong. There's no traumatic event. We're just trying to get from good to better, just like you would have a coach when you're trying to get better at a physical skill. You can have a coach or a mentor for mental skills. So how can I use some stress management techniques to get my score better on the ACST. Not that I'm failing, but it's kind of like, what can I do mentally to get an edge on some of these tasks? Sure. So on that, you just mentioned some stress management techniques. Do you have any advice as to how we can assess our stress levels and whether we are managing our stress well? Ooh, that's a good question. So there's a lot of cool tech out there now that comes up pretty often. A lot of wearables like watches and rings and bands that measure something called HRV or heart rate variability. That's a pretty good indicator of overall stress. It's not exactly quite the same as your heart rate. It's more the difference between your heartbeats. But if you have one of those wearables, check it out. Sometimes people miss that feature. And usually a lot of those wearables give you a nice little description of it too. So you can use objective things like that to measure stress. My thermometer for if stress is getting to be too much or if it's if it's starting to bleed into that chronic stress which is what we don't want is are you sleeping well if you're not sleeping well then that's something we might want to start to address fancy that it's all related (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so on that too is one thing like i kind of noticed no one quantifies what is chronic stress versus not chronic stress you know, is it a time? Is it three months? Is it three weeks? But again, I like to use stress as a measure. If something, if there's a lot of stress going on in your life and you're not, you're starting to notice you're not sleeping well, that's probably a time you want to address it. But prior to that, the biggest thing that I typically recommend is recognize stress in the short term as actually something good. We add to the stress by stressing about stress. When actually in acute, you know, acute stress is happens for a reason. It's a generic response. If I throw you outside in the cold rain with no jacket, your heart rate's going to go up, your breathing's going to go up, all these things physiologically happen to your body to try to save you from that situation. The same response is happening when you get in a fight with your boss. It's just a generic trigger that's physiological process. And in the short term, it's actually really good for you. So 
a lot of stress management or a part of stress management is understanding that process physiologically. It gives you a lot of power over it. And like it takes away a stress because now you're not stressed about the stress. So in the short term, kind of recognizing that, maybe using a few tools here and there, like breathing techniques to get yourself in the right place, depending on what you're doing, can be helpful. And then from there, just kind of keep that pulse check if the stress is turning into something chronic. And the way that I do that is by if my sleep is starting to get messed up. Can we go back just a second? You mentioned some wearables that will measure HRV. Are are all of the wearables that have that feature pretty comparable? Are there any that you, I mean, we're not, I assume you're not sponsored by any of them, but that you <laughs> would say, hey, steer away from this or steer in this direction? Or is it kind of like, hey, if you have one with that feature, just look at it sometimes and it'll help you? Yeah, I think the technology for HRV kind of is at a plateau. The difference for me is, so I think they're all comparable in terms of accuracy. The difference for me is the interface. So for example, the Whoop measures HRV. It's a band, kind of looks like a watch with no clock face. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a nice little readiness score. When you open there, the app on your phone, it'll kind of tell you if you're red, amber, or green, meaning, hey, if you're green, go for a tough workout or that extra mile on your run. But if you're amber, maybe back off. And then if you're red, hey, something might be going on. Maybe you're starting to get sick. You're not sleeping well and that stress is, you're seeing it there. So I like that interface. If your goal is performance and monitoring your recovery and your stress in that sense, there's another popular option called the Aura Ring. It's a ring versus a band that measures HRV in the same way. So it's not any more accurate, but I like their interface. If your goal is more looking at HRV as a measure of stress for kind of health and wellness, that emotional stability. Aura's app comes with more of, hey, this is what your HRV is, and here's a guided meditation you can do to help fall asleep or to help manage it. So it has some of those stress management tools built into it, whereas Whoop is kind of looking at physical performance a bit more, and I haven't seen them produce those kinds of tools to kind of real time bring down that physiological stress response. Cool. Yeah, very insightful. Thank you. All right. So I got a mom specific question for you. And you can take this obviously as broader as narrow as you want. But how has being a mom changed you as a leader? It's opened my eyes to what a challenge empathy really is. And I think People say this pretty frequently, and probably I'm sure others on your podcast have talked about this, and we identify empathy as a key skill for leaders, but it is just so hard to truly be empathetic. So, for example, I think becoming a mom, I realized looking back, I wasn't quite as empathetic as I thought I was with some of my soldiers who had kids or if they were single soldiers with kids. You know, at the time, I thought I was being empathetic or sympathetic to the situation. But in retrospect, I don't think it was quite really where it could have been. So, you know, I, I think it's really opened my eyes to, you know, the unique challenges having a family and kids in the military, you know, what that entails and how some of, you know, there's some things that do a really good job supporting soldiers to have families and a military career. And then there's some things that definitely still need some improvement 
And we need leaders to really be empathetic to that until we can fill some of those gaps. Yeah, that's a great point. And that was something I had brought up too when I was in command. I felt like I was doing the right thing, but until like you're thrown into the the circumstance and realize like all the things that go into caring for, you know, young children and older children, you don't realize like how much support you really need, especially for the, the single moms out there. But what are your favorite parts of being a mom and being an army leader? Mom, I would say getting to eat all the ice cream. We call it mom tax in the in this you- house. So <laughs> whatever <laughs> junk food and, you know, when the kids get McDonald's and we take two fries, it's our mom tax. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm hungry. That's why my, that was my first. Um, I love that's it. That's my first reaction. No, but I think, you know, Having commissioned as a single soldier, really embracing some of the traditions, because I'm big on traditions, that's been important to me. So I think the best part about having a family now is getting to create more traditions, but within my personal family, not just my army family. Yeah. So just having them, you know, here to to do all those fun things, simple things like, you know... (laughs) I guess this is on my mind, but ice cream, it's Friday today. So it's, we do ice cream Friday. So, you know, once a week, just nice. doing that, no matter what's going on, you know, it's, is is fun having them with me, at, you know, key army events like promotions and, and new jobs. Now that I have them here, I can't imagine doing it without them. Yeah. Awesome. And since it's Pride Month, I have one question for you. Are you and your wife or are you and the family doing anything for Pride this month or have you already? Oh, I would say we we, we try to like kind of, you know, show our pride every month. Yeah, <laughs> so that's yeah. a great answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our daughter, she loves rainbows anyway. So she's, we always joke that she's a, a supporter <laughs> because there you she's go, always your best ally. Yeah, uh, no, the kids will actually be going to North Carolina to spend some time with their dad. So we, we won't do any family pride events, but my wife and I are going to take a little trip to Miami with my parents and my sister. So uh, maybe we'll sneak in a little pride festivities down in Florida. Awesome. Sounds great. All right. Well, I think we're just about ready to wrap up and we do appreciate your time so much, especially for all of our listeners. Tara was so great to chat with us a couple of months ago. And then we just had a lot of sound issues and had to not beg her, but ask her very kindly to uh, sit down and do this interview again. So we're so glad we were able to make it happen. But before we go, can you give us and our listeners a couple of recommendations or resources, maybe related to military professionalism, maybe related to physical training and recovery, or related to motherhood? Hmm. I'm a big, well, recently with H2F, I've gotten into a couple podcasts and stuff. So if you want to get into the neuroscience of sleep or stress or even like nutrition and some other things, I love the Huberman Lab. Andrew Huberman, he's a professor and neuroscientist, I think, from Stanford University. Mm-hmm. His, his podcast is very information forward, so it's not really too much of a discussion. So it can sometimes put people to sleep, but I like to soak in information that way. So um, It's also long form. I think I listened to like a two-hour episode recently, <laughs> yeah. but you can always put it on pause, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he does some social media posts, too, if you want the short version, the cliff notes. Nice. Uh, 
But in, you know, if you're interested in books, I would say uh, one recommendation for sleep would be Why We Sleep. I think that's by Matt Walker. He does a really good job writing it in more of a novel form, some of that neurosciencey type stuff with some tips. The Upside of Stress is another good book. Talks a lot about sort of some of the things we hit on, how acute and short-term stress is good for you, but how long-term stress is bad, and you know what do you do in between all of that. So those are kind of my go-tos for sleep and stress. And then in terms of momming, we really love the Zen Pig book series. It teaches you know kids about some kind of abstract concepts like gratitude and mindfulness emotional regulation, but in, in a nice, cute little story way. So we like to read those at nighttime and anytime we're trying to kind of introduce a new concept to the kids. So we're a big fan of those books. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely put those in the show notes so everybody can take a look at those recommendations. Tara, it's been such a pleasure talking to you again. Thank you for your time and all the insightful information. It's just great to see you. We're, we're friends of Tara's. We've been friends for a while. But glad that you could could be on the podcast. Happy to do it. Happy to see you guys. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review. We'll be releasing new episodes every other week, so please subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. If you'd like to get in touch, shoot us an email at tacticalmothers at gmail.com and follow us or reach out on Twitter at Tactical Mothers or Instagram at Tactical as a Mother. Until next time, stay strong, stay tactical, stay you. What you hear in this episode are the views of the participants and don't represent the Army or any other agency of the U.S. government.